Please turn in your Bibles to Jonah, the book of Jonah. You're not used to flipping through those minor prophets, so I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. And we're going to begin reading at verse 17 of chapter 1 and through to the end of uh, chapter 2. Jonah 1, beginning at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. Oh, your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Amen. Father God, we thank You for this, Your Word, and I pray that it would build up Your people and Your most holy faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Today's lesson is on the healing power of thanksgiving. It may seem uh, like a little uh, strange uh, subject, but I believe that there really is a great healing power in offering up persistent thanksgivings before the Lord. But before I deal with that, uh, subject. I want to first of all demonstrate uh, the difficult situation that Jonah was in, and it was not just being in the, the, the belly of the fish. Uh, Jonah was in a, 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 a deep spirit of spiritual depression prior uh, to his even being swallowed. A lot of people look at Jonah and they say, you know, what is wrong with this guy? Uh, they think he's hard-hearted, he's cruel, he has uh, no pity on the Ninevites. I don't look at it from that perspective at all. Uh, I see uh, uh, Jonah as having been a person who has seen a great deal of pain from the hand of the uh, Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And that uh, he had become deeply depressed. He was not a racist, as some people assume, because uh, even though he did not want the Ninevites saved, he definitely wanted... Uh, and, uh, and worked for the salvation of the Phoenicians. He could have just had them go down with him. He wanted to be drowned. He wanted to die. He could have had the Phoenicians go down with him, but no, he shows them a way out. Uh, and uh, instead of being insensitive to their plight, like he was to the plight of Nineveh, he taught them about God. And we know that because they used the name Yahweh when they prayed to God at the end of this chapter. So he taught them who the God of all creation was, the God of Israel, and they repented their sins. And so it shows that Jonah was not really hard-hearted. He was not a racist. Uh, he was very depressed. And he shows all of the classic uh, symptoms of depression. I want to just go down quickly a list of the ones uh, that are here in the book of Jonah. 
First of all, he withdraws from people and then complains of his isolation. Kind of strange uh, behavior. Uh, secondly, he's downcast and blue, but uh, he's one, because of the way he thinks and the way he talks, he makes himself increasingly downcast and blue. He doesn't try to get out of that. Third, he feels overwhelmed with what God wants him to do. He just does not think he can do it. Uh, Lord, you've given far too much for me to handle. Fourth, he sleeps when there should be action. In fact, in chapter 1, he's sleeping so deeply. Uh, he's in a ship-sinking storm. Everybody's crying out in fear. And he's down there soundly sleeping, and the, the, the master of the ship has to shake him awake. Now, some people have the opposite extreme. Uh, they have insomnia when they have depression, but both, ironically, can be symptoms. Uh, five, throughout the book, he shows no desire to eat. Six, he excuses his irresponsibility. Seven, he has lost all desire for living. Chapter one, he insists that the mariners throw him overboard. Chapter four, verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He doesn't want to continue on living. Chapter four, verse eight, then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And so he's so depressed, he just wants to escape. He wants to get out of this life. And chapter by chapter, God forces Jonah to face up to the things that have made him feel so much inward hurt and uh, the bitterness which led to his depression. Now, I want to deal as well with uh, what it was that led to the bitterness which eventually led to that depression and there's a hint of it in chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, But let man and beast, this is the confession of the king of Nineveh, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, there's the first thing he confesses, and from the violence that is in his hands. <clears throat> um, the king picks out those two ways. And if you look in biblical archaeology, you see the, it's just an amazing depth of depravity in the Assyrian Empire. And the cruelty, the violence that was in their hands is absolutely horrifying. Of all of the ancient peoples that I have studied in archaeology, uh, Assyria was probably the most cruel. Uh, just amazing to see the, the cruelty that they had. Uh, I've subscribed over the years to an archaeology magazine, and since then uh, I've let it lapse because I can get it cheaper online, an electronic version. But they've got pictures that they unearth every year. They keep unearthing more Assyrian artifacts. And one of the things that you will find is that uh, when they un unearth houses, you will see in the living room and in the bedrooms and in the kitchen and different places, frescoes of torture. It is just one of the most bizarre things that you can imagine. Now, they have uh, unearthed all kinds of toys and statues of people being skinned alive and different things like that. It was a demonic culture. And these po uh, guys, we have literature back then from other nations which despised the Assyrians. And so there's a little bit slanted uh, propaganda in what they're writing, but they talk about these people dragging out the torture as long as that they can because they relish uh, listening to the, the screams of, of these people. That's the kind of a culture uh, that the Assyrians were in. And you could cross-reference, if you desire, um, 
Nahum chapter 3, which descri- the whole book describes, uh, uh, even uh, another 40 years later, the rest of the Assyrian Empire, which came under God's judgment and His wrath, and it highlights the incredible violence. Other nations feared Assyria, despised Assyria, were sickened by the cruelty that they had. Now, here's where it becomes personal for Jonah, and this is only hinted at, so I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I do think that reading between the lines, this is a logical deduction that we can derive from the material that is out there. 2 Kings chapter 14, we discover where it was that, that Jonah uh, was born, uh, where he lived. It was in gath Hefer, and we know that this was an area that had been attacked by Assyria. We know exactly how Assyria always dealt with uh, people that they were conquering. And so, just by logical deduction, this is what I'm reading between the lines of what happened. I think uh, Jonah was one of the survivors, the people who had escaped from this attack of the Assyrians. And he had no doubt witnessed friends and relatives being tortured by these, uh, these barbaric uh, Assyrians there and burned into his memory are the screams of tortured children as the Assyrians laugh. Every time he thinks of the Assyrians, his emotions churn with the memory of the ghastly demonic cruelty. And it would take a long time before Jonah was finally uh, 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 healed of this pain, and he was enabled to come to a pay- place where he could love his enemies. Now, we've seen God's grace do that even in recent years. Uh, people who have uh, forgiven their enemies who have tortured and killed one of their uh, loved ones. This is a work of God's grace. This is not something that uh, naturally came. And by the time he writes this book, he loves his enemies. He is doing so. He's, he's conquered his own hurts as he Uh, As he writes this book, God has helped him to process through and step by step uh, be brought out of this depressed state. Now, I'm not going to take a look at all of the, because this is not a sermon on depression. If it was, I'd give you a whole lot more steps. But let me just summarize very quickly some of the things that God does in this book to help him out of his depression. This book illustrates the principle that depressed people frequently need intervention. You can't just hope that, you know, time will heal all wounds. Uh, No, a lot of times you've got to intervene because these people want to go into a hole and uh, curl up and let the world go away and they completely bail out of life, which makes things worse. It just goes in a downward spiral. God does not let him crawl into a hole. Uh, Jonah wanted to avoid his pain. God helped him to deal with his pain. Jonah feels overwhelmed with the task. God takes him through it step by step. A lot of times these people are just overwhelmed because they say, I've got a whole forest I've got to chop down. There's no way I'm ever going to get it done. And you take them, you say, don't even think about that forest right now. Don't think about that forest. Chop this tree down. You can do that. And you have them chop that tree down and they're, they're, they're always wanting to think about the whole forest. And what he has them do, this is your step. This is the next step that you have to do. Be obedient point by point. Jonah tried to avoid action. God forced him to take action. Uh, Jonah sought to excuse his irresponsibility. God kept reminding him of his irresponsibility. He would not let him off the hook. He says things like, is it right for you to be angry? And the implication is no. Now, I understand why, but you still don't have a right to be angry. The sin of the Ninevites cannot excuse your sin. 
Uh, Jonah saw only the negative. And so God is pointing out the positive things that are in life. You know, when these people get so depressed, they think the whole world is negative. There isn't a single good thing that has happened to me. And uh, what you need to do is come alongside and show them, no, here's, here's some really cool things that God has done. He has preserved you uh, even this past week. Look at the grace of God because they see God is totally absent. You've got to point out, no, God has been right there all the way through uh, uh, this past week. Uh, God helps Jonah focus the positive pity that Jonah had on that plant. Remember in the last chapter, a plant grows up, provides shade, and a worm kills it. God sends the worm, it says. And he has such pity for that plant and he's angry. And God says, now, you've had pity for that plant. Should you not have had pity for all of these children that are going to be destroyed in Nineveh if there is not uh, repentance? So many different ways, God shows His love to Jonah by bringing him out of his depression. So it's really a great book for teaching counselors how to counsel people in such a state. Now this morning, I just want to look at one little facet, but I think it's a very powerful facet in helping people to get out of depression and uh, to find joy in the Lord, to find healing. And that is the power of uh, thanksgiving in bringing healing into your life. Giving thanks when you do not feel like giving thanks, and usually you don't feel like it in those initial stages, Giving thanks when you do not feel like it is a God-ordained means of bringing this inner healing. Now, it may not make sense, but it works. And many people have testified to the supernatural healing they have experienced as a result of persistent, persistent thanksgiving. They just thank their way through these circumstances as an act of faith. In the New Testament, Paul commanded, giving thanks always for all things. He didn't want us to wait till the depression is over before we start thanking. Lord, I'll start thanking you as soon as you heal me. No, we start thanking right in the midst of that circumstance. Now, where does Jonah start? Now, frequently, depressed people have lost so much will to live, they can't even think of how to pray. Uh, they, they try. Sometimes all they can do is cry out, Help me, Lord, help me, help me. That's all they can think to say. And during times like that, it's helpful to read the Psalms. And I strongly encourage you, if you ever go through times of depression like that, read the Psalms and use them as a prayer to God. You might pray, you know, read a phrase or two and then try to use that as offering up your heart and your own prayer. But if you can't even do that, just read the, the Psalm because God has brought Psalms that can deal with every emotion that you experience. Psalm 42, Psalm 43, tremendous Psalms for those who are going through uh, depression. You can read psalms, that, uh, I mean prayers that other people have composed. And this is in effect what Jonah does in chapter 2. Almost every phrase of that prayer was taken from the psalms. He adds a couple of phrases in there and personalizes it. But almost every prayer there is taken from the psalms. He had spent so much time meditating in the psalms, memorizing the psalms, that they had become a part of him so that even though he couldn't think of his own prayers, he could at least take the Psalms and verbalize those to God. If you ever come to the place where you have a hard time praying, your mind is fried, it's uh, just scattered thinking, you have a hard time, and many times depressed people do, read the Psalms. It will give organization to your emotions 
as you offer them up before the Lord. And they can serve as a jumping off place for your own prayers. By the way, there's other ones. Valley of Vision. If you don't have that, great Puritan prayers. Um, Anglican prayer book. You know, the Anglicans have really gone downhill, but their prayer book hasn't changed a whole lot. Some great prayers in the Anglican prayer book. And uh, I encourage you to, to, to get some of those. So here is what he's doing. He's reciting them from memory. And whether you are reciting someone else's prayers or you're doing it spontaneously, if you mean the prayer, God receives it. Okay? Next question. When does Jonah start his thanksgiving? Well, he doesn't wait until he feels better. He sure doesn't feel better in that belly of the whale there. He starts praying even before he is delivered. Verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said... So he's thanking God in the belly of the whale. Now, it took a while. It took three days before he wakes up to the fact he can even do that there. Uh, but verse 10 indicates it was only after his prayer of thanksgiving that, that the fish spit Jonah out. New American Standard Bible says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Uh, Septuagint translates it, Upon this, what? upon what? Upon his, having prayed that prayer of thanksgiving, upon this a command was given by the Lord to the fish. And so God wants us thanking Him and praising Him even when we are cast down in the worst of circumstances. Two of the Psalms that Jonah quotes are Psalm 42... Psalm 43, and you can add that to your repertory when you're dealing with depression. Marvelous, marvelous psalms. And in that, those two psalms, the author uh, talks to himself and he says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you so depressed? I will yet hope in God. I will yet praise Him. It's like he's grabbing himself by the scruff of the neck and he's saying, Shake yourself out of this, self. You're not going to be depressed. I'm going to thank God. I'm going to put my hope in the Lord. He's, he, he's getting himself a booster talk, as it were. Now, you've, you've heard this story enough times that uh, you're probably sick of it, but uh, I couldn't think of another illustration. And um, uh, I'll, I'll tell it because I think it illustrates this point so well. When I was... Um, Probably in fifth grade, we went hiking with my brothers up in the mountains in Ethiopia. And we had done this many, many times and knew the routes back. But the fog had set in and we must have taken a wrong turn. We got so royally lost. We didn't know where in the world we were in the mountains. And uh, we wandered and wandered. We started getting scared because it was starting to get dark and the animals were starting to come out. And uh, we found what, we, what looked like a familiar path, and we said, oh, good. And we started running down this path to get home as quick as we could, but it wasn't the right path. We were still lost. And as I was running pell-mell down the hill, something hit me on my legs and just sent me sprawling, and I skinned up my elbows, my knee, and my hip, and I picked myself up off of the ground, and I'm complaining, and... Uh, you know, why does this have to happen? And, uh, you know, just feeling sorry for myself. And by that time, my brothers had caught up with me, and the fog lifts just enough that I can see just a few feet in front of me is this cliff I would have run right over the top of. I looked back to see what tripped me. There was nothing there, completely clear ground. I'm convinced that an angel had tripped me. Well, now I'm praising God that he tripped me, right? 
I'm saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. This is so wonderful. I can see God's providence in it all. But the thesis of my sermon this morning is that we need to be thanking God even when the fog has not lifted. Why? Because He's promised us in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good. So many times we're only willing to thank God when the fog lifts, when we can understand His purposes in the situation. And yet God says, I want you to walk by faith, not by sight. That's the whole call of the Christian life. It's to walk by faith and not by sight. And to say, Lord, I feel so miserable. My arms are skinned up. My knees are skinned up. But I praise You anyway because I know there is some good in this situation. And by faith, I'm going to start thanking You about the things that have just happened to me. That's what God calls us to do. Now, it's rare that God lifts the fog. Very rare. And our act of thanking God, even when we do not feel like thanking God, our act of thanking God is an act of faith. Hebrews 11. Every expression of faith there is an act. Faith acts. So, our act of faith by thanking God is an expression of faith that reaches up to heaven and brings God's power and His blessing into our lives, and automatically we begin to feel better. I have seen this over and over. Both Kathy and I have gone through severe, severe depression in the past, physiological depression, uh, and we won't go into all of the, discover, uh, the descriptions of that, but thanksgiving is a powerful thing that enables you to keep on keeping on even when the going uh, gets uh, gets tough. What enabled Paul and Silas to thank God in prison even when the dried blood that had caked on their backs was still there? They were praising God, giving hymns. Ephesians 5.20 is a verse that has brought healing and strength to me during times when I've been in the fog. I've had no idea why God has allowed me to stumble. And by faith, I've said, Lord, I thank You. Not only that You have brought blessings in the midst of these things, but that this difficult circumstance, this jerk who has been such a pain in the neck, is being brought into my life for my good. It's an integrity check. And Father, may I grow through this. Thank You so much for bringing this into my life. Those, those kinds of thanksgiving prayers give you a whole new perspective on life. Anyway, let me read you. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says there's never a time when we should not be engaged in thanksgiving. He says, giving thanks always. Okay. Then he says, not only all times, but there's nothing that is exempted from that thanksgiving. Giving thanks always for all things. You say, are you really kidding me? Uh, I have to thank God for the sin of another person? Yes. I have to thank God for an incredible financial loss? Yes. Giving thanks always for all things. There's no exceptions that are in there. And it's a very important point to lay, to lay hold of. It includes 
those most wretched of times when you feel like you're in the fish's belly with all that mucus slopping over you and you're trying to breathe and it's, it's just so gross down there, you think, Lord, I'd rather die than be in this belly of the fish, thanking Him that you're in the belly of the fish. It includes facing the pain of the past like God forced Jonah to do. And so the first step, thank God where you can, even if that means reading somebody else's prayers. You might say, I can't pray. Well, can you read? At least read a prayer. And if you don't know how to read, you can listen to a prayer. Have somebody else read it to you. One of the things that uh, depressed people sometimes have had to have happen is you come alongside as you're intervening and you sit down, you read Psalm 27 to them. And you read it over and over again until that psalm begins to sink into their lives. You read Psalm 42 or Psalm uh, 43. And so you, you, you do what you can and where you can, uh, even if it means reading. The second step that we've looked at, do it right away. Don't wait for three days. I wonder, I've often wondered, well, it was providentially already uh, set up because he was to be a type of Christ, three days. But in the abstract, you know, could we get out? of the fish's belly more quickly if we began to, in faith, begin to thank Him. So Jonah began thanksgiving even while he was depressed, even in the fish's belly. A third thing that can make our thanksgiving a reality is to develop an eternal perspective. So frequently we measure our pains and our gains merely in terms of the present. We're not thinking about eternity. <clears throat> and... Uh, what God does is God shakes Jonah up to, to, to start thinking about eternal realities by making him face death. That'll make you start thinking about an eternal perspective. Verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me out of the depths of Sheol I cried. Now, he had either died or at least had a near-death experience. And there's various commentaries take different perspectives on that. I take the perspective that he literally died and his spirit went down into Sheol beneath the bars of the earth, okay? So I really think that he, his spirit, but there are, some people say it's a metaphor. But anyway, he says, out of the depths of Sheol I cried, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters encompassed me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. And then verse 6 describes the rescue. Yet, this is the rescue by the fish, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Now, I don't know if it was the fumes in the stomach that revived or whatever. His near-death experience if he died, he, he was brought back by the Lord somehow. And there's nothing quite like a near-death experience or facing death that makes a person realize that his concerns and frustrations and fears and hopes and priorities in life and the things that have even gotten him bitter have been totally out of focus when you measure them by eternity. Totally out of focus. Moments before you die, you're not going to be regretting the things that now just maybe consume you. You're not going to be regretting that you didn't meet your financial goals or that somebody swiped that $200 from you and that you've been bitter over for years. Um, you're not going to regret, oh boy, if only I could have gotten a bigger house, <laughs> you know, or gotten that boat. Now, right before death, the things that you're concerned about are the things that last for eternity. You're going to regret that you didn't spend more time with your family 
or that you didn't uh, maybe witness to that uh, person that uh, you had uh, been prompted by the Spirit to witness to. So for once, they're beginning to measure life by eternal standards, and thanksgiving helps us to do that. What thanksgiving does is it gives us, it helps to give us God's perspective on life to look at the present circumstance by faith that there is something worth thinking about. In fact, unbelievers are going to think you're, you're nuts because in the eyesight, there's nothing to be thankful about. So it's giving an eternal perspective. But once you have the eternal perspective, what it does is it refocuses you and says there's all kinds of reason to thank. And so it's a circle. It feeds. They feed on each other. And um, it, it's just a, a, a very, very helpful thing to have an eternal a perspective on things. If you're not a believer, automatically you don't have an eternal perspective. Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? But as believers, Paul, you know, used that expression. He, 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 he talked about, I don't know if I can quite remember how he said it, but he said, uh, all of the pains, all of the afflictions, all of the depression that he had gone through are... Maybe you could remember the quote exactly. It's, um, anyway, it's comparatively light to the glory that we're going to have in heaven. That's, that eternal perspective helped to carry him through. Now, a fourth thing that helped Jonah be thankful for that slimy stomach of a fish was that he knew that God was sovereign. You can't thank God for all things unless God is in control of all things. It would be ridiculous to thank God for something that God didn't bring. So, unless God controls all things and works all things together for your good, it doesn't make sense to thank Him for all things. So, the two really do have to go hand in hand. Now, he knew that in the boat, this was God's storm. And he told the sailors that this was God's storm. He knew this was God's fish. He says in verse 3, all your billows and your waves passed over me. He knew this was God's water, the God's sea. Jonah knew that nothing but the sovereignty of God could have put him in the fish's belly and nothing but the sovereignty of God would be able to get him out. But he also knew the reality of Romans 8:28. All things work together for the good of those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. He says in chapter 4, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now, it didn't look like God was good. He looks around him and he says, how could a good God be in this? We saw that in the conference. Uh, Kevin Swanson talked. How can a good God be in this? And yet by faith, he knows he's a good God and he knows he's a sovereign God and that gives him every reason to be thankful. That's the reason and he brings it into his prayers. Next point. Thanksgiving has the power to move you from self-seeking, self-pity, self-centered idolatry to servanthood. In verse 9, he says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Thanksgiving is hard. That's why it's called a sacrifice. (laughs) Sacrifices are hard, right? But in the verse before, he implies that when we only do what we want to do, when we are self-seeking, we are idolaters. And we're going to miss out on the very mercies that we desire. Mercy doesn't come to idolaters. It comes to those who seek God, not to those 
who seeks self. Thanksgiving is the very opposite of being a self-seeking idolater. It blesses God and God blesses us. Now, a further benefit of thanking God is that it helps us to focus upon the fact that our emotional security and help are totally from the Lord. Now, so often we get down because people hurt us and uh, people have let us down or they have frustrated us, but he ends the psalm by realizing God's in all of this. He says, salvation is of the Lord. He would, he would stop looking for salvation from men, from money, from things, from food, from vitamins, from whatever. He would look to the Lord for His salvation. Salvation, he says, is of the Lord. One last benefit of thanksgiving is deliverance. Now, this should not be the only point that we focus on. Some people say, help me, help me. You know, when they come for counseling and uh, uh, um, this one counselor, uh, somebody came to him and he said, oh, you've got to help us uh, out of this problem. We're going through so much pain. Please help stop the pain. And he questioned him some further. Do you want help in solving this? I want help. We're so painful. He said, well, if you want help with your pain, I suggest that you get you know, a, a truckload of booze, go get several prostitutes, go off to Hawaii, and just have a blast. I thought you were a Christian. He said, well, I am a Christian. But you didn't ask me what God wants you to do. You asked me to help you get rid of your pain. God's not interested in getting rid of your pain. He's interested in getting you sanctified. He's interested in getting you out of the sin. And sometimes it's painful to do that. Deliverance is not the only thing we ought to be thinking about. The whole process is important. And God doesn't always deliver us physically, but He will always deliver us spiritually. Because that's the important thing. He will deliver us spiritually. And so... Um, Jonah is not delivered until the very point at which he comes to thanksgiving. Verse 10 says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Thanksgiving delivers. Not always a physical, but there is always a spiritual deliverance. For 40 days, Jonah was emotionally stable. He's out there preaching. Preaching his heart out for 40 days, which indicates God had done a great work already at this point. And it's only after Nineveh repents that all of a sudden he begins thinking about all of the things. This is not fair. You know, here's all these people killed. Now you're not going to make these people pay for it. And he goes through the same process. And people who come out of depression, they can very easily fall right back into depression if they don't watch how they think. Our thinking is so, so important. I dug out an old saying that goes like this. To praise God for our miseries ends them. To praise God for our blessings extends them. To praise God for our miseries ends them. To praise God for our blessings extends them. I think it's a great quote. When we begin to thank God even for the miseries that we are going through, even if it's not God's purpose to take us out of the miseries, those miseries begin to no longer be miseries to us because we're looking at them from a new perspective. We're realizing God's doing a work in me and I want that work to have its perfect fruit. But to, 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 to thank God for our miseries ends them, to thank Him for our blessings extends them. Thanksgiving is a powerful tool for spiritual healing and we must use it. Now, because I don't have an outline, let me quickly review the points that we have covered so far. First step, thank God uh, 
where you can and the, 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 the degree that you are able to do so. If you're so depressed that you can't even think properly, read a prayer. Whether it's Valley of Vision or a psalm or something like that. Second step, do it right away. Don't mope and, and uh, stew in all of your bad feelings. Say, shake yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, no, I'm not going to think negatively. I want to thank God. You begin immediately to thank Him. Third step is to relate what you are thanking God for to eternity. Measure it by eternity. Your thanksgiving will be a whole lot more real if you do that. In light of eternity, the pain you go through diminishes. Fourth step is to remind yourself that God is sovereign over your problem. And since He's a good God, this will give you a rational basis for thanking God. So meditate on His sovereignty and include that as a reason for thanksgiving. Fifth step is to take the effort or what Jonah calls the sacrifice to give thanksgiving. And I know you won't feel like uh, thanking Him. Uh, I rarely feel like thanking God uh, when I'm going through those difficulties. But as I spend two, three, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes in thanksgiving to God, I feel more and more like thanking Him. My insides begin to be transformed. So thank Him even before you feel like thanking Him, uh, even before you're out of the, uh, the difficulty. Um, the sixth step, oh, that's the sacrifice. Yeah, that, that was explaining the sacrifice step. The sixth step is to put aside other saviors, other sources of security, and to realize that God alone is your source of salvation. Thank Him for that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use medicine, that you can't use vitamins, but too many times people don't look to the Lord. They look to vitamins or they look to medicine or they look to food or they look to something else to help them through it. Yes, God can use means, but those are not your saviors. Look to the Lord to be your Savior. And then having done all of that, God has promised to deliver you. And it may not be in the way that you anticipated, but He will deliver you. And that's the promise of Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. God will bring exactly the rescue, exactly the deliverance that you need, and through that thanksgiving, we will honor Him. And God says, He who honors me, I will honor. So we've seen there's a lot of spiritual benefits to the discipline of thanksgiving, and I urge each one of you to begin thanking God for all things, even though you don't feel like it. Amen.